Section 14 of The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 7. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Piotr Natter. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 7. Edited by Charles F. Horn, Rossiter Johnson, and John Rudd. The Black Death Ravages Europe, A.D. 1348, by J. F. C. Hecker. Different parts of the Oriental world have been mentioned as the probable locality of the first appearance of the plague or pestilence known as the Black Death, but its origin is most generally referred to China, where, at all events, it raged violently about 1333, when it was accompanied at its outbreak by terrestrial and atmospheric phenomena of a destructive character, such as are said to have attended the first appearance of Asiatic cholera and other spreading and deadly diseases from which it has been conjectured that through these convulsions deleterious foreign substances may have been projected into the atmosphere. But while for centuries the nature and causes of the Black Death have been subjects of medical inquiry in all countries, it remained for our own time to discover a more scientific explanation than those previously advanced. The malady is now identified by pathologists with the bubonic plague, which at intervals still afflicts India and other Oriental lands, and has, in recent years, been cause of apprehension at more than one American seaport. It is called bubonic, from the Greek bubon, groin, because it attacks the lymphatic glands of the groins, armpits, neck, and other parts of the body. Among its leading symptoms are headache, fever, vertigo, vomiting, prostration, etc., with dark purple spots, or a mottled appearance upon the skin. Death in severe cases usually occurs within 48 hours. Bacteriologists are now generally agreed that the disorder is due to a bacillus identified by investigators both in India and in Western countries. The first historic appearance of the Black Death in Europe was at Constantinople, A.D. 543, but far more widespread and terrible were its ravages in the 14th century when they were almost worldwide. Of the dreadful visitation in Europe, then, we are fortunate to have the striking account of Dr. Hecker, which follows. The name Black Death was given to the disease in the more northern parts of Europe, from the dark spots on the skin above mentioned, while in Italy it was called La Mortalega Grande, the Great Mortality. From Italy came almost the only credible accounts of the manner of living, and of the ruin caused among the people in their more private life during the pestilence, and the subjoined account of what was seen in Florence is of special interest as being from no less an eyewitness than Boccaccio. J. F. C. Hecker The nature of the first plague in China is unknown. We have no certain intelligence of the disease until it entered the western countries of Asia. Here it showed itself as the oriental plague with inflammation of the lungs, in which form it probably also may have begun in China, that is to say as a malady which spreads more than any other by contagion, a contagion that in ordinary pestilences requires immediate contact, and only under unfavorable circumstances of rare occurrence is communicated by the mere approach to the sick. The share which this cause had in the spreading of the plague over the whole earth was certainly very great, and the opinion that the Black Death might have been excluded from Western Europe by good regulations, similar to those which are now in use, 
would have all the support of modern experience, provided it could be proved that this plague had been actually imported from the East, or that the Oriental plague in general, whenever it appears in Europe, has its origin in Asia or Egypt. Such a proof, however, can by no means be produced so as to enforce conviction. The plague was, however, known in Europe before nations were united by the bonds of commerce and social intercourse. Hence there is ground for supposing that it sprung up spontaneously, in consequence of the rude manner of living and the uncultivated state of the earth, influences which peculiarly favor the origin of severe diseases. We need not go back to the earlier centuries, for the fourteenth itself, before it had half expired, was visited by five or six pestilences. If, therefore, we consider the peculiar property of the plague, that in countries which it has once visited it remains for a long time in a milder form, and that the epidemic influences of 1342, when it had appeared for the last time, were particularly favorable to its unperceived continuance, till 1348, we come to the notion that in this eventful year also the germs of plague existed in southern Europe, which might be vivified by atmospherical deteriorations. Thus, at least in part, the Black Plague may have originated in Europe itself. The corruption of the atmosphere came from the east, but the disease itself came not upon the wings of the wind, but was only excited and increased by the atmosphere where it had previously existed. This source of the Black Plague was not, however, the only one, for, far more powerful than the excitement of the latent elements of the plague by atmospheric influences, was the effect of the contagion communicated from one people to another, on the great roads, and in the harbours of the Mediterranean. From China, the route of the caravan lay to the north of the Caspian Sea, through Central Asia to Tauris. Here ships were ready to take the produce of the east to Constantinople, the capital of commerce, and the medium of connection between Asia, Europe, and Africa. Other caravans went from India to Asia Minor, and touched at the cities south of the Caspian Sea, and lastly from Baghdad through Arabia to Egypt. Also the maritime communication on the Red Sea from India to Arabia and Egypt was not inconsiderable in all these directions the contagion made its way and doubtless constantinople and the harbours of asia minor are to be regarded as the foci of infection whence it radiated to the most distant seaports and islands to constantinople the plague had been brought from the northern coast of the black sea after it had depopulated the countries between those routes of commerce and appeared as early as thirteen forty seven in cyprus sicily marseilles and some of the seaports of italy the remaining islands of the mediterranean particularly sardinia corsica and majorca were visited in succession foci of contagion existed also in full activity along the whole southern coast of europe when in january thirteen forty eight the plague appeared in Avignon and in other cities in the south of France and north of Italy, as well as in Spain. The precise days of its eruption in the individual towns are no longer to be ascertained, but it was not simultaneous, for in Florence the disease appeared in the beginning of April, in Cesena the first of June, and place after place was attacked throughout the whole year, so that the plague, after it had passed through the whole of France and Germany, where, however, it did not make its ravages until the following year, 
did not break out till August in England, where it advanced so gradually that a period of three months elapsed before it reached London. The northern kingdoms were attacked by it in 1349, Sweden indeed not until November of that year, almost two years after its eruption in Avignon. Poland received the plague in 1349, probably from Germany, if not from the northern countries. But in Russia it did not make its appearance until 1351, more than three years after it had broken out in Constantinople. Instead of advancing in a northwesterly direction from Tauris and from the Caspian Sea, it had thus made the great circuit of the Black Sea by way of Constantinople, southern and central Europe, England, the northern kingdoms, and Poland, before it reached the Russian territories, a phenomenon which has not again occurred with respect to more recent pestilences originating in Asia. We have no certain measure by which to estimate the ravages of the Black Plague. Let us go back for a moment to the fourteenth century. The people were yet but little civilized. Human life was little regarded. Governments concerned not themselves about the numbers of their subjects, for whose welfare it was incumbent on them to provide. Thus the first requisite for estimating the loss of human life, namely a knowledge of the amount of the population, is altogether wanting. Cairo lost daily, when the plague was raging with its greatest violence, from 10,000 to 15,000, being as many as, in modern times, great plagues have carried off during their whole course. In China, more than 13 million are said to have died, and this is in correspondence with the certainly exaggerated accounts from the rest of Asia. India was depopulated. Tartary, the Tartar kingdom of Kapchak, Mesopotamia, Syria, Armenia, were covered with dead bodies. The Kurds fled in vain to the mountains. In Karamania and Caesarea, none was left alive. On the roads, in the camps, in the caravansaries, unburied bodies were seen, and a few cities only remained, in an unaccountable manner, free. In Aleppo, five hundred died daily. Twenty-two thousand people and most of the animals were carried off in Gaza within six weeks. Cyprus lost almost all its inhabitants, and ships without crews were often seen in the Mediterranean as afterward in the North Sea, driving about and spreading the plague wherever they went on shore. It was reported to Pope Clement at Avignon that throughout the East, probably with the exception of China, 23,840,000 people had fallen victims to the plague. Lübeck, which could no longer contain the multitudes that flocked to it, was thrown into such consternation on the eruption of the plague that the citizens destroyed themselves, as if in frenzy. When the plague ceased, men thought they were still wandering among the dead, so appalling was the livid aspect of the survivors, in consequence of the anxiety they had undergone and the unavoidable infection of the air. Many other cities probably presented a similar appearance, and small country towns and villages estimated that 200,000 population were bereft of all their inhabitants. In many places in France, not more than two out of twenty of the inhabitants were left alive. Two queens, one bishop, and great numbers of other distinguished persons fell a sacrifice to it, and more than five hundred a day died in the Hôtel Dieu, under the faithful care of the religious women, whose disinterested courage, in this age of horror, displayed the most beautiful traits of human virtue. 
the churchyards were soon unable to contain the dead, and many houses left without inhabitants fell to ruins. In Avignon, the Pope found it necessary to consecrate the Rhone, that bodies might be thrown into the river without delay, as the churchyards would no longer hold them. In Vienna, where for some time twelve hundred inhabitants died daily, the interment of corpses in the churchyards and within the churches, as forthwith prohibited, and the dead were then arranged in layers by thousands in six large pits outside the city. In many places it was rumoured that plague patients were buried alive, and thus the horror of the distressed people was everywhere increased. In Erfurt, after the churchyards were filled, twelve thousand corpses were thrown into eleven great pits, and the like might be stated with respect to all the larger cities. Funeral ceremonies, the last consolation of the survivors, were everywhere impracticable. In all Germany there seems to have died only 1,244,434 inhabitants. This country, however, was more spared than others. Italy was most severely visited. It is said to have lost half its inhabitants. In Sardinia and Corsica, according to the account of John Villani, who was himself carried off by the Black Plague, scarcely a third part of the population remained alive and the venetians engaged ships at a high rate to retreat to the islands so that after the plague had carried off three-fourths of their inhabitants their proud city was left forlorn and desolate in florence it was prohibited to publish the numbers of the dead and to toll the bells at their funerals in order that the living might not abandon themselves to despair in england most of the great cities suffered incredible losses above all yarmouth in which seven thousand and fifty-two died bristol oxford norwich leicester york and london where in one burial ground alone there were interred upward of fifty thousand corpses arranged in layers in large pits it is said that in the whole country scarcely a tenth part remained alive morals were deteriorated everywhere and public worship was in a great measure laid aside in many places the churches being bereft of their priests the instruction of the people was impeded covetousness became general and when tranquillity was restored the great increase of lawyers was astonishing to whom the endless disputes regarding inheritances offered a rich harvest the want of priests too throughout the country operated very detrimentally upon the people the lower classes were most exposed to the ravages of the plague while the houses of the nobility were in proportion much more spared the sittings of parliament of the king's bench and of most of the other courts were suspended as long as the malady raged ireland was much less heavily visited than england the disease seems to have scarcely reached the mountainous districts of that kingdom and scotland too would perhaps have remained free had not the scots availed themselves of the misfortune of the english to make an irruption into their territory which terminated in the destruction of their army by the plague and by the sword and the extension of the pestilence through those who escaped over the whole country in england the plague was soon accompanied by a fatal marine among the cattle of what nature this marine may have been can no more be determined than whether it originated from communication with the plague patients or from other causes there was everywhere a great rise in the price of food for a whole year until it terminated in august thirteen forty nine the black plague prevailed 
and everywhere poisoned the springs of comfort and prosperity. In other countries it generally lasted only half a year, but returned frequently in individual places. Spain was uninterruptedly ravaged by the Black Plague till after the year 1350, to which the frequent internal feuds and the wars with the Moors not a little contributed. Alfonso XI, whose passion for war carried him too far, died of it at the siege of Gibraltar, March 26, 1350. He was the only king in Europe who fell a sacrifice to it. The mortality seems to have been less in Spain than in Italy, and about as considerable as in France. The whole period during which the Black Plague raged with destructive violence in Europe was, with the exception of Russia, from 1347 to 1350. The plagues, which in the sequel often returned until 1383, we do not consider as belonging to the great mortality. The premature celebration of the Jubilee, to which Clement VI cited the faithful Rome 1350, during the great epidemic, caused a new eruption of the plague, from which it is said that scarcely one in a hundred of the pilgrims escaped. Italy was, in consequence, depopulated anew, and those who returned spread poison and corruption of morals in all directions. The changes which occurred about this period in the north of Europe are sufficiently memorable. In Sweden two princes died, Haken and Canute, half-brothers of King Magnus, and in West Gotland alone, 466 priests. The inhabitants of Iceland and Greenland found in the coldness of their inhospitable climate no protection against the southern enemy who had penetrated to them from happier countries. The plague wrought great havoc among them. In Denmark and Norway, however, people were so occupied with their own misery that the accustomed voyages to Greenland ceased. In Russia, the Black Plague did not break out until 1351, after it had already passed through the south and north of Europe. The mortality was extraordinarily great. In Russia, too, the voice of nature was silenced by fear and horror. In the hour of danger, fathers and mothers deserted their children and children their parents. Of all the estimates of the number of lives lost in Europe, the most probable is that, altogether, a fourth part of the inhabitants were carried off. It may be assumed, without exaggeration, that Europe lost, during the Black Death, 25 million inhabitants. That her nations could so quickly recover from so fearful a visitation, and without retrograding more than they actually did, could so develop their energies in the following century, is a most convincing proof of the indestructibility of human society as a whole. To assume, however, that it did not suffer any essential change internally, because in appearance everything remained as before, is inconsistent with a just view of cause and effect. Many historians seem to have adopted such an opinion, hence most of them have touched but superficially on the great mortality of the 14th century. We, for our part, are convinced that in the history of the world the Black Death is one of the most important events which have prepared the way for the present state of Europe. He who studies the human mind with attention and forms a deliberate judgment on the intellectual powers which set people and states in motion may perhaps find some proofs of this assertion in the following observations. At that time the advancement of the hierarchy was, in most countries, extraordinary, for the church acquired treasures and large properties in land, even to a greater extent than after the Crusades. 
but experience has demonstrated that such a state of things is ruinous to the people and causes them to retrograde as was evinced on this occasion after the cessation of the black plague a greater fecundity in women was everywhere remarkable marriages were prolific and double and treble births were more frequent than at other times after the great mortality the children were said to have got fewer teeth than before at which contemporaries were mightily shocked and even later writers have felt surprise some writers of authority published their opinions on this subject others copied from them without seeing for themselves and thus the world believed in the miracle of an imperfection in the human body which had been caused by the black plague the people gradually consoled themselves after the sufferings which they had undergone the dead were lamented and forgotten and in the stirring vicissitudes of existence the world belonged to the living the mental shock sustained by all nations during the prevalence of the black plague is without parallel and beyond description in the eyes of the timorous danger was the certain harbinger of death many fell victims to fear on the first appearance of the distemper and the most stout-hearted lost their confidence the pious closed their accounts with the world their only remaining desire was for a participation in the consolations of religion repentance seized the transgressor admonishing him to consecrate his remaining hours to the exercise of christian virtues children were frequently seen while labouring under the plague breathing out their spirit with prayer and songs of thanksgiving an awful sense of contrition seized christians everywhere they resolved to forsake their vices to make restitution for past offences before they were summoned hence to seek reconciliation with their maker and to avert by self-chastisement the punishment due to their former sins human nature would be exalted could the countless noble actions which in times of most imminent danger were performed in secret be recorded for future generations they however have no influence on the course of worldly events they are known only to silent eye-witnesses and soon fall into oblivion but hypocrisy illusion and bigotry stalk abroad undaunted they desecrate what is noble they pervert what is divine to the unholy purposes of selfishness which carries along every good feeling in the false excitement of the age thus it was in the years of this plague in the fourteenth century the monastic system was still in its full vigour the power of the religious orders and brotherhoods was revered by the people and the hierarchy was still formidable to the temporal powers it was therefore in the natural constitution of society that bigoted zeal which in such time makes a show of public acts of penance should avail itself of the semblance of religion but this took place in such a manner that unbridled self-willed penitence degenerated into lukewarmness renounced obedience to the hierarchy and prepared a fearful opposition to the church paralyzed as it was by antiquated norms while all countries were filled with lamentations and woe there first arose in hungary and afterwards in germany the brotherhood of the flagellants called also the brethren of the cross or cross-bearers who took upon themselves the repentance of the people for the sins they had committed and offered prayers and supplications for the averting of this plague this order consisted chiefly of persons of the lower class who were either actuated by sincere contrition 
or who joyfully availed themselves of this pretext for idleness or were hurried along with the tide of distracting frenzy but as these brotherhoods gained in repute and were welcomed by the people with veneration and enthusiasm many nobles and ecclesiastics ranged themselves under their standard and their bands were not unfrequently augmented by children honourable women and nuns they marched through the cities with leaders and singers their heads covered as far as the eyes their look fixed on the ground with every token of contrition and mourning they were robed in sombre garments with red crosses on the breast back and cap and bore triple scourges tied in three or four knots in which points of iron were fixed tapers and magnificent banners of velvet and cloth of gold were carried before them wherever they made their appearance they were welcomed by the ringing of bells and the people flocked from all quarters to listen to their hymns and witness their penance in thirteen forty nine two hundred flagellants first entered strasburg where they were hospitably lodged by the citizens above a thousand joined the brotherhood which now separated into two bodies for the purpose of journeying to the north and to the south adults and children left their families to accompany them till at length their sanctity was questioned and the doors of houses and churches were closed against them at spires two hundred boys of twelve years of age and under constituted themselves into a brotherhood of the cross in imitation of the children who about a hundred years before had united at the instigation of some fanatic monks for the purpose of recovering the holy sepulchre all the inhabitants of this town were carried away by the delusion they conducted the strangers to their houses with songs of thanksgiving to regale them for the night the women embroidered banners for them and all were anxious to augment their pomp and at every succeeding pilgrimage their influence and reputation increased all germany hungary poland bohemia silesia and flanders did homage to them and they at length became as formidable to the secular as to the ecclesiastical power the influence of this fanaticism was great and threatening the appearance in itself was not novel as far back as the eleventh century many believers in asia and south europe afflicted themselves with the punishment of flagellation the author of the solemn processions of the flagellants is said to have been san antony of padua twelve thirty one in twelve sixty the flagellants appeared in italy as devoti Quote, when the land was polluted by vices and crimes an unexampled spirit of remorse suddenly seized the minds of the italians the fear of christ fell upon all noble and lowly old and young and even children of five years of age marched through the streets with no covering but a scarf round their waist they each carried a scourge of leathern thongs which they applied to their limbs amid sighs and tears with such violence that the blood flowed from the wounds not only during the day but even by night and in the severest winter they traversed the cities with burning torches and banners in thousands and tens of thousands headed by their priests and prostrated themselves before the altars the melancholy chant of the penitent alone was heard enemies were reconciled men and women vied with each other in splendid works of charity as if they dreaded that divine omnipotence would pronounce on them the doom of annihilation but at length the priests resisted this dangerous fanaticism without being able to extirpate the illusion 
which was advantageous to the hierarchy as long as it submitted to its sway. The processions of the Brotherhood of the Cross undoubtedly promoted the spreading of the plague, and it is evident that the gloomy fanaticism which gave rise to them would infuse a new poison into the already desponding minds of the people. Still, however, all this was within the bounds of barbarous enthusiasm, but horrible were the persecutions of the Jews, which were committed in most countries with even greater exasperation than in the twelfth century during the First Crusades in every destructive pestilence the common people at first attribute the mortality to poison on whom then was vengeance so likely to fall as on the jews the usurers and the strangers who lived at enmity with the christians they were everywhere suspected of having poisoned the wells or infected the air and were pursued with merciless cruelty these bloody scenes which disgraced europe in the fourteenth century are a counterpart to a similar mania of the age which was manifested in the persecutions of witches and sorcerers and like these they prove that enthusiasm associated with hatred and leagued with the baser passions may work more powerfully upon whole nations than religion and legal order nay that it even knows how to profit by the authority of both in order the more surely to satiate with blood the swords of long-suppressed revenge the persecution of the jews commenced in september and october thirteen forty eight at chillon on the lake of geneva where the first criminal proceedings were instituted against them after they had long before been accused by the people of poisoning the wells similar scenes followed in bern and in Freiburg in thirteen forty nine under the influence of excruciating suffering the tortured jews confessed themselves guilty of the crime imputed to them and it being affirmed that poison had in fact been found in a well at zoffingen this was deemed a sufficient proof to convince the world and the persecution of the abhorrent culprits thus appeared justifiable already in the autumn of thirteen forty eight a dreadful panic caused by the supposed poisoning seized all nations in germany especially the springs and wells were built over that nobody might drink of them or employ their contents for culinary purposes and for a long time the inhabitants of numerous towns and villages used only river and rainwater. the city gates were also guarded with the greatest caution only confidential persons were admitted and if medicine or any other article which might be supposed to be poisoned were found in the possession of a stranger and it was natural that some should have these things by them for private use he was forced to swallow a portion of it by this trying state of privation distrust and suspicion the hatred against the supposed poisoners became greatly increased and often broke out in popular commotions which only served still further to infuriate the wildest passions the noble and the mean fearlessly bound themselves by an oath to extirpate the jews by fire and sword and to snatch them from their protectors of whom the number was so small that throughout all germany but few places can be mentioned where these unfortunate people were not regarded as outlaws and martyred and burned solemn summonses were issued from bern to the towns of basel freiburg in breisgau and strasbourg to pursue the jews as poisoners the burgomasters and senators indeed opposed this requisition but in basel the populace obliged them to bind themselves to an oath to burn the jews and to forbid persons of that community from entering the city for the space of two hundred years 
Upon this all the Jews in Basel, whose number could not have been inconsiderable, were enclosed in a wooden building, constructed for the purpose, and burned together with it, upon the mere outcry of the people, without sentence or trial, which indeed would have availed them nothing. Soon after the same thing took place at Freiburg. A regular diet was held at Benefeld in Alsace, where the bishops, lords, and barons, as also deputies of the counties and towns, consulted how they should proceed with regard to the Jews. And when the deputies of Strasbourg, not indeed the bishop of this town, who proved himself a violent fanatic, spoke in favour of the persecuted, as nothing criminal was substantiated against them, a great outcry was raised, and it was vehemently asked why, if so, they had covered their wells and removed their buckets. A sanguinary decree was resolved upon, of which the populace, who obeyed the call of the nobles and superior clergy, became but too willing executioners. Wherever the Jews were not burned, they were at least banished, and so being compelled to wander about, they fell into the hands of the country people, who, without community, and regardless of all laws, persecuted them with fire and sword. At Eslingen, the whole Jewish community burned themselves in their synagogue, and mothers were often seen throwing their children on the pile to prevent their being baptized, and then precipitating themselves into flames. In short, whatever deeds, fanaticism, revenge, avarice, and desperation, in fearful combination, could instigate mankind to perform, were executed in 1349 throughout Germany, Italy, and France, with impunity and in the eyes of all the world. It seemed as if the plague gave rise to scandalous acts and frantic tumults, not to mourning and grief, and the greater part of those who, by their education and rank, were called upon to raise the voice of reason, themselves led on the savage mob to murder and to plunder. The humanity and prudence of Clement the Sixth must on this occasion also be mentioned to his honour. He not only protected the Jews at Avignon, as far as lay in his power, but also issued two bulls, in which he declared them innocent, and he admonished all Christians, though without success, to cease from such groundless persecution. The Emperor Charles IV was also favourable to them, and sought to avert their destruction wherever he could. But he dared not draw the sword of justice, and even found himself obliged to yield to the selfishness of the bohemian nobles who were unwilling to forego so favourable an opportunity of releasing themselves from their jewish creditors under favour of an imperial mandate duke albert of austria burned and pillaged those of his cities which had persecuted the jews a vain and inhuman proceeding which moreover is not exempt from the suspicion of covetousness Yet he was unable, in his own fortress of Quebec, to protect some hundreds of Jews who had been received there from being barbarously burned by the inhabitants. Several other princes and counts, among whom was Ruprecht of the Palatinate, took the Jews under their protection on the payment of large sums, in consequence of which they were called Jew-masters, and were in danger of being attacked by the populace and by their powerful neighbours. These persecuted and ill-used people, except indeed where humane individuals took compassion on them at their own peril or when they could command riches to purchase protection had no place of refuge left but the distant country of lithuania where boleslav v duke of poland twelve twenty seven to twelve seventy nine had before granted them liberty of conscience 
and King Casimir the Great, 1333-1370, yielding to the entreaties of Esther, a favourite Jewess, received them and granted them further protection, on which account that country is still inhabited by a great number of Jews, who, by their secluded habits, have, more than any other people in Europe, retained the manners of the Middle Ages. End of section 14